Five Star Founder is a podcast created by founders for founders. I believe that everyone you ever meet knows something you don't. Each episode features a founder from a variety of backgrounds, sectors, and entrepreneurial stages with whom I hope to learn, celebrate, understand, and get a deeper insight into their world. We will cover everything from what drove our founders to start their company to what keeps them awake at night, biggest regret to date, as well as their career highs and lows in their journey so far. Our guest today is Philip Uday, founder of Brain Food. He founded Food after struggling for many years with chronic fatigue due to sickle cell anemia. Sickle cell anemia, for those of you who don't know, simply means I actually had to research this myself just so I would know what I'm talking about. So sickle cell anemia basically means the red blood cells are sickle-shaped rather than smooth and round, which leads to blockages and deprives oxygen to organs and vital tissues. So you feel fatigued, you feel lethargic. And I believe Phil's actually one of the board members or advisors for the charity. So I'm keen to talk to you about that as well. He was disillusioned by high sugar and artificially sweetened drinks. The shelves in supermarkets are full of these things. So he decided to create something better that would be not only giving the energy boost, but also help his condition as well. He started the search on Google. What I like about this story is that he literally started the search by typing in food technologists in London back in 2015. That journey started in 2015, but now he's actually ended up being fully funded. The brand's not only just available in supermarket shelves, but during this time, he appeared on Dragon's Den, ran a successful crowdfunding campaign. What we hope to find out today is more about his ideas, philosophy, and what it actually means to feel good energy. I was going to say feel good energy. That's what I want to talk to him about. So my backstory with Phil was we actually met in the same office space when we worked a few years ago. The first day, I remember the first day he walked in, I think he came in with some people and this man was so well-dressed. I was like, whoa, who's this guy? The first impression I had of Phil was like, he's a dapper don. So I'll get up my my fashion game if I'm going to be around the same office with him. I'm going to step it up. But as I got to know him, him and his team I was super impressed with what he built and you know like we would have we would be like the last two people in the office most of the time and we'd sort of have conversations about what he's doing and during that time we were both learning our businesses and our industries as we go I want to kind of continue that conversation and see what he's been up to since then welcome to the show Phil thank you I know you but for the listeners and viewers could you tell us who you are and what you do okay so I'm Philip Uday I'm the founder of a brand called Food Vitamin Energy I'm on the I'm on the other side. It's it's, it's weird reacting to <laughs> these screens. <laughs> Glad to to be on the podcast. I'm a founder of this beverage, and you've given all the intro. It's fantastic intro. So my motivation was a very personal one. But what I found from my own personal motivation is it resonated with a lot of people. And there were so many people I would talk to when I just had this idea of like, is there a healthy energy drink in the market that you know of? And I would ask lots of people and they would say, no, people would say, well, I don't know of any. There have been some that have kind of gained some traction and, you know, got some distribution over the the last couple of years more recently. But in general, at the time in like 2015, when I was starting this journey, there was only stuff in Holland and Barrett and a few kind of obscure places like health shops and like those chemists and health healthy places where you could find these type of products, but they weren't in the mainstream. And so for me, what I felt is missing is like a mainstream brand of energy, which is still healthy, low sugar, no added stuff, no preservatives, no sweet, Mm. and just a product that, that you can feel good about drinking, feel good energy. And feel good energy is really a product that you can drink, It gives you a functional benefit and you don't have to feel guilty. One thing I was going to ask you was you started like most of the founders that we've interviewed in the series. You started life within a corporate role. And I was just looking through your LinkedIn. You had a few roles within like a local government. How did that leap happen from that to was it like a consuming passion? You thought something needs to be done. And then you thought, okay, quit the role and then go into that. Could you tell us a bit more about how you made that transition? Yeah, so it was a big journey. I've been on, kind of been on like the full circle. So my original degree was economics and I decided that I wanted to use that to go into like kind of NGO sector, nonprofit. So I worked at an organization called CAFOD. CAFOD is like, basically I describe them as Catholic Oxfam. They probably won't like that description, but it's it's the same type of thing. It's an NGO, but kind of Catholics. Um, So I grew up coming from a Catholic background, being familiar with it and ended up giving me a graduate role. 
I was in there and then I kind of felt a bit disillusioned that actually a lot of when you talk about like NGOs, I wasn't necessarily convinced that they were there to make lasting change in places that they said they were focused mm. on making lasting change in because I feel like lasting change comes from different things. It comes from trade. It comes from commerce. It comes from giving people a fair deal rather than giving people aid and doing development aid projects. So I felt like it wasn't the right place. So I went to Lewisham worked basically under Lewisham Council, but I was actually working um, for basically the Race Equality Council. In those mm. days, had kind of each local authority might have like a race equality organization funded mm. by the council and funded by central government. I ended up working there and I was there doing work with young people around like equalities, teaching young people their rights around stop and search. We even did a training program where we trained 800 police officers in Lewisham. You know, Lewisham has the biggest police station in Europe. It's extremely oh, wow. with horses and everything. It was kind of a massive operation. But we were there. Basically, we made a film talking about young people's experiences of stop and search. And then we went into the police station and we actually sat down with police officers in classrooms effectively and played them this film and got them to understand from the other side the impact of, of their engagement um, with the young people in the borough. So that was like an interesting journey. And that led me into setting up my own social enterprise. And so I got into the system of like having funded projects and my social enterprise called Community Builders is still running today, kind of in the background. I'm not really doing a great deal at the mm. moment. I'm always open and supportive of different activities, particularly where it focuses on giving young people opportunities. So that's what we were doing. We were doing funded projects, lottery funding. We had funding from people like Virgin Media. We had a whole range of different activities. And for me, what I felt was interesting about that period is that you kind of have an idea for a project in your head and then you mm. learn the process of how to put together a brief, like a proposal, put together a budget, put together like a project plan with very specific activities and steps that you're going to take to deliver this project. And then once you put that whole proposal together, someone might give you, it could be a lottery fund, or it could be a different funder, they might give you a hundred grand or they might give you 50 grand or, you know, whatever. So the point being is that I learned almost the, the, the concept of having ideas and then from those ideas, turning them into tangible, deliverable projects and things that could have an impact. So from there, I wasn't really passionate about food and beverage in that way. I was more passionate about health and well-being. What that meant is literally I would be on Google you know, finding stuff in terms of like, how could I find things that would help me physically? Because at that time I was crossing into my thirties and I was looking at, my, my body was kind of slowing down a little bit. I couldn't do the same things I used to do in my twenties because with sickle cell, as you said, you have the, the red blood cells are shaped the wrong way or they're kind of misshapen and they don't carry enough oxygen. So that can lead to like fatigue, which is one of my big challenges. It can also lead to things like organ damage. It can lead to joint damage and bone damage so for me personally i've had organ failure i've had like kidney failure i've been in hospital for a month wow. that happened in my early 20s i was in hospital for a month with kidney failure i've had my hips degrade so when you see me walking around in the office with that extra swagger some of that is just because my hips have got bad hips <laughs> so you were thinking it's just the, the extra swagger that's um, the, you know, the pop growing up in Tottenham exactly but no it's not it's not just the target so for me I've had a number of challenges but for me it was like okay well at that stage how do I research things like ginseng things like ashwagandha was like these mm. herbs things like niacin niacin and have this herb niacinamide which I would put in, in it sounds all very like chemical but it's, it's all natural kind of vitamin based and kind of herb based ingredients but I would put them into like smoothies and I would like make smoothies drink this stuff make teas with it and at that point like at that time i would go into my previous office take my smoothies in with me and people would say wow that's an interesting idea what, what is that what are you drinking and just from there it just made me feel like you know what maybe there's something in exploring this healthy energy drink thing and, and as you said correctly just one sunday afternoon in google i just typed in food technologist in london mm. had a chat with a guy on that same sunday for like about 40 minutes we had like a decent chat like about what i wanted to achieve how he could help and yeah basically he then came down to london he was based in the midlands he came mm -hmm. to london a few weeks later we then had like a kind of workshop 
he brought one of his friends who was a marketing guy and then another mm. technologist. I probably paid those guys a little bit too much in the grand scheme of things. Mm. But the point was, it was more the start of that journey. It was more like the first steps to investigate what it takes to, to build a brand. So let me get this right. So you're working within your council, but also the community builders organization. And you'd actually kind of make these smoothies for yourself, but you kind of road tested it with your first customers, I guess, or real people. How did you make that leap from, you know what, there's something into this that I think everyone deserves. Like, how did that kind of mental switch happen from you? And did you actually think, no. you know what, I can make this into like a can that you can sell everywhere? Like, I mean, I'm curious yeah. to know more about that. For me, I've always been somebody who kind of thinks big and, and for me when I noticed that this thing wasn't in the supermarkets I just felt like I, I didn't have that thinking of like oh it's going to take so much money so many years so much investment and struggle and frustration and all the things that it takes to, to bring something like this to market but mm. that wasn't really on my mind what was on my mm. mind is that there's actually a gap and mm. the more I talked to people about it the more people said you know what it makes sense and that kind of gave me the the impetus. And, and when I started, I didn't really start with like a lot of money. Like I didn't start mm. with loads of cash in the bank. I did not start with like a very definite plan as to exactly how the whole thing would play out. Mm. I did step by step. And, and what step by step basically meant is that each month I would just do a little bit here and there. So each month mm. I might say, okay, this month I want to pay 500 pounds because I need a flavor house to mm. basically do development work on a recipe. And then next month, okay, I'm going to pay £100 to a designer that I found on People Per Hour. So I'd go on People Per Hour and get all kind of designers from around Europe and different places because they were accessible. They were cheap and accessible mm. and just get them to develop concepts and ideas for me. And then I'd mm. have these things on my phone. I'd show people and say, hey, have a look at this. And people would have a look and say, oh, this looks good. Or I'd give them different design options and say which ones do you like and just testing with the people around me not not necessarily like in a formal focus mm. group type thing although we did do that initially and spend that money and quickly when you spend money and then you get a report and you kind of realize damn i could have just gone to like 20 people myself and just had conversations with them about the concept itself about their preferences about how they spend their money how do they like to get energy drinks or consume energy products if that's something they do and just my, my mindset just shifted from this thing of like oh you have to go with the agency and things in this very formal way to kind of how can i do things very iteratively bit step by step by step and it shows the journey that we I had the idea 2015, like let's say late 2015, maybe September. It took us till January 2018 to have mm. make our first sale in the office at, at that time. And people would be like, Philip, when, when is the product launching? You know, when are you, yeah. you going to yeah. manage the product? And it was so frustrating because there were just constant delays, constant things coming up, constant issues, because you've never done this before. Everything is new and supply yeah. delay getting a date with manufacturers even getting manufacturers just to take you seriously is another thing that's another issue because the decks that i would send like at that time i would send them really confidently like you know what here's a deck it's got some images on it it's got some like here's where we're gonna sell blah 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 i'd send it to manufacturers and they'd be like they just stop taking my calls like some of them like they would just think that maybe this guy's watched too much apprentice or dragon's den there are some legit manufacturers who just ignored me, you know. There's two things I want to ask you about, actually. Firstly, I remember one day, it was like we were back in the office and you had these like sheets of printed like stickers. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I think it was a typo or there was something offset. And then, you know, like, damn, this is a printer's. And I think it was on them rather than you. You know what, Phil, I've been there where, and I'm sure a lot of people listening have been there where, it's the first time you do something you don't know everything and you don't you kind of learn sometimes you need to make mistakes to kind of get to the next level in a way and it means that next time you do printing you'll never make that mistake again you'll make sure that you, everything checks so yeah you're right it's a journey one th interesting thing that you said was i get this a lot and almost everyone who's got an idea that they kind of road test with their fat friends and family they get this where you're like hey what do you think of this and they're like oh this is wonderful this is amazing this is great and because you know people are nice they don't want to kind of dishearten you or kind of despirit you how did you take you know the feedback that you were getting with a pinch of salt which meant that the filter can you tell us about how that happened 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, j- just on that memory of, of that sheet that had the, the incorrect printing, it's one of those things where anything that involves humans, like in a process, is subject to mistakes, is subject mm-hmm. to misprints. And I remember at that time, there was just a very small typo in terms of like, I think the 250 mil on the front of the pack or something like this was like, they put it incorrectly as like 200 mil. There was something that just went wrong in, in somehow. It just went wrong. And the point it was is that what's so interesting is that they printed 50,000 of these, right? And we were like, you know what, guys, this, we can't run with this because it's, it's not compliant. There was an issue that meant that, in fact, this is the exact issue is that they had told us that we could put the, the full kind of calories per the can or per the bottle at that time it was, but actually we had to put the calories per hundred mil. Mm. And that was, it was a very slight technical thing, but it made the product non-compliant in terms of EU registration. And it meant that there's a company called Brand Bank where you have to register your data. And that's the data that goes onto all the retailer websites once you're listed. And we would have been non-compliant. So we said to them, look, we're non-compliant here. This is a mistake. And you guys haven't flagged this up. And we found it out ourselves before print. And we said, look, we can't go with this. But even though it set us back a few weeks, the interesting thing was is that even within that period of making that change, we actually took the opportunity to make extra reviews again of the whole packaging and even then we submitted a few extra changes that weren't even like included before on the packaging because the thing is always living do you know I mean that's the thing with product it's always mm-hmm. living you know I mean you always are even improving even when you might even have just 24 hours to resubmit the artwork within mm-hmm. that 24 hours you can say okay let's sit down and let's go through and let's think okay how can we make even a tiny incremental improvement because it's just those small 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 margins of improvement that will resonate will hopefully mean that your product overall will resonate with a consumer but yeah for us looking at okay that journey the question around feedback you know for me it's interesting because the feedback was mixed the feedback was positive around the brand and the concept Mm. but in terms of the actual business and pursuing the business it was a lot more mixed because a lot of people within my network had never had that experience of starting a brand from zero. Yeah, at that point of from zero. And then I get to a stage of like every month, I'm paying freelancers, I'm paying flavor houses, I'm buying juices, I'm doing this, I'm doing mm. all this stuff. And people say, hey, you're spending a lot of money on this. Like, there's no guarantee that this is going to work. And I've got a lot of my friends are actually entrepreneurial, but they are entrepreneurial in ways that are a lot more, I would say, predictable. Mm. They might have a very good friend, property developer. He'll say, okay, I want to buy these two flat, these two houses and turn them into four flat. Everything kind of makes sense. There's a room for error, but the room mm. for error is not huge. The room for error mm. is in a certain range, right? So for them, you know, people are saying to me, Philip, instead of spending all this money, why don't you like take a market stall and like make some of your juices at home, get a market stall, sell some juices to people. I just start off more organically rather than trying to develop this brand and blah, blah, blah. Because I think mm. before we even got our first funding, I think I probably spent around 30,000. Um, mm. And I had an original, original business partner who dropped out quite early on. And she had put in a reasonable amount of money <laughs> within that 30000 mm. as well. So it was, for me, it's like that journey was almost a journey of you have to be self-motivated. And I saw there's a comment, Elon Musk, a quote that where somebody asked him, what advice would you give to encourage entrepreneurs? And he said, well, look, if an entrepreneur needs encouragement, I would yeah. say don't be an entrepreneur. <laughs> Actually, you know, you may have posted that on LinkedIn or maybe Twitter, but and then I actually retweeted that. And I was thinking this where if you need that encouragement or push, you're in the wrong game. Okay. You are going to constantly get rejection, people telling you, hey, this doesn't work, this doesn't make sense. I mean, we did these new cans and we just launched them just before the kind of lockdown in March 2020. And literally, the, the interesting thing is we only had a few weeks to kind of mm-hmm. send out samples, try and get feedback. And the feedback was mixed. We had a major retailer tell us, really like this product, really like the taste and the brand um, proposition. Let's look at opportunities within 2020, right? And then you have a a different retailer say, "Mm, you know what, we don't think this matches up with the taste profile for a national retailer. So it's like, hold on, you've got two national retailers both telling you completely different feedback it just shows you things are about sometimes just about individuals and it's about who gets your product at what time 
And if you can kind of keep building your brand and keep building the story for long enough for people to actually say, oh yeah, I get it. Because often when people don't get things, it's about familiarity. It's about the fact that it's quite different. It's quite new. It's quite novel. And they'll say, oh, well, I don't understand that. I don't get this. I don't think this is going to work. But if you can keep going, you know, and, and you said this thing earlier about in your intro about we've become fully funded. Funding is a constant journey for us. And, and even within our funding journey, as you said, we've had different experiences, Dragon's Den, crowdfunding, angel investors. But even at the stage we are now, it's still an ongoing dialogue because a business like ours will not get to profitability for some years. And so in terms of the journey, we still need constant support. And it's, it's tricky, particularly in these times, to get people to keep on supporting us. So yeah, that, that thing of like that encouragement thing, it's tough from every angle. <laughs> so what started off as almost like a vision for a FMCG brand has turned into you being almost like a financial director trying to kind of juggle everything. Is that? Yeah, it's everything because as a CEO, you're a financial director, but then you're still a product development director. You're still marketing director. And when you have a very small team and even within our team, none of us were industry experts. You know, mm. None of us came from Coca-Cola or Mars or whatever. None of us have had that experience. So we were all still finding our way and learning on the job. For me, yeah, like a lot of my time is spent on thinking about how we're going to raise investment. But a lot of that comes from the stories as well. When you talk about being a CFO, that's probably my, my kind of least favorite aspect is looking at spreadsheets and another Elon Musk is that, you know, I like Elon Musk because he's like a, just a vision person. Like he's an ideas man. Like everyone should, I think, just study Elon Musk and just how he thinks about the world because he, where other people see barriers and see like a brick wall or a dead end, he mm. sees beyond. He sees much further beyond. But he's talking about life on Mars and living as humans on Mars. Unbelievable type of, it's just different type of thinking. So I guess my point with, with what, what I was saying about that, there's another thing he said, which is around, there's too many MBA trained yeah. people running startups and running businesses. And business is not just about numbers or spreadsheets or PowerPoint presentations. And the more time you spend in that zone, the less you are connected, do you know what I mean? To like the real fundamentals of your business, which is about producing a product or service that resonates and delights your customers. Your customers have to love your product. And the, the more you can keep on improving your product or service and engaging with your customers, learning from them, having conversation with them, then the more you've got a chance to succeed. And for me, that's why I like to invest my time in actually being on Instagram myself, engaging with our consumers, engaging with our community, building community, having conversations with real people sending them a free sample saying, Hey, look, here's a free sample. Try this. It would be great if you post it. Just finding out from people like what makes them tick, what make, what do they like about the brand? What do they enjoy about the product? And for me, that is, that brings me much closer to understanding like how I can continue to improve the product as we go forward. So yeah, that, that, that's the thing. I think that there is that balance. When you talk about being a CFO or CEO, I think those titles sound like, yeah, okay, you're very financial and very proper. And I can do those elements. I have some investors who will say, look, Philip, you're, <laughs> you're not close enough to your numbers. And I'll right. say, maybe I'm not fair. However, I also feel like the real life of the business is in your customers. It's in the engagement. It's in getting new listings, getting the buyers. Buyers themselves are your customers. How do we engage with buyers in a way that's meaningful, that's not right. just spamming them every time with like, Hey, list our product. How do you start conversations with buyers? Like find out what they're into. That, that's interesting for me. So you mentioned the journey from actually getting started to getting your big first customer. Could you tell us like the first, your first big order, how it happened and how that felt from your perspective as a founder? Sure. I mean, big order, I won't say big, but significant was, let's say, January 2018, when we got our first order with a company called DDC Foods. DDC Foods is like a distributor who sell into like mainly what you call food service. And food service basically means anywhere that you go where they have like catering. So if you go to like universities, they all have catering. If you go to like the bigger corporate offices, they will normally have catering or some sort of like on-site food 
outlets. So that kind of became our first distribution. And I can't remember the first order. I feel like it was, it wasn't that much. It was maybe like a couple of grand the first order, but it was just the fact that we'd begun. The fact that, you know what, we've begun. Now we've got like, we've got this distribution. We've got this opportunity to like, get out there and meet people. And you know, the funny thing is this was like January, 2018. So actually at that time, there was this whole GDPR thing. I feel like that's kind of gone away again. I feel like my level of spam of like people inboxing me who I've got no idea where they got my details. I feel that's gone right back to, to like all time high now. But um, you know, there was a period where GDPR became a major thing and everyone was like, oh, you know, we can't share data with you now, blah, blah, blah. So that was a major challenge for us at that time is that we couldn't get the actual names, emails, or contact details for a lot of the different sites that were supplied mm -hmm. by the distributor. So what that meant is we literally had to start being like ingenuitive. We had to like get out there, go to sites, have conversations, mm -hmm. call people up, try and get past the reception and try and get to the head of catering and say, hey, can I speak to her? We just had to like feel our way through and we've now mm -hmm. got databases of like, buyers and different categories and stuff so yeah that, that was a major major part of our, of our journey and, and it was unexpected like i expected we would launch into places like whole foods planet organic and the whole healthy sphere and we mm. went the other way we went to university and corporate which i think it just it also made sense mm. it was just a different way to do things but yeah that was our first kind of intro to the market yeah i remember i think you and your team were going to you were doing a university tour whilst well, yeah. in the past few weeks. How did that idea come about? Because like one thing you mentioned just earlier was when you're kind of new to the industry or when you don't have the baggage that you bring in from a corporate or from a Mars or a PNG, you know, yeah. you start from scratch. So you kind of have to come up with your own ideas. How did that kind of come about? And looking back at it, was it a success or was it something that's just part of what you had to do to get to where you are? I mean, again, yeah, as you said, like this whole thing of like starting in an industry with very little experience, it means that you go back, I'm giving Elon Musk a lot of, a lot of quotes here, but you know, he has this thing of first principles thinking, right? Where it's like you boil things down almost on a scientific basis to what do we know to be true, right? So we said, okay, what do we know? Well, we know that students on campus, they're drinking alcohol, they are partying, they are working studying late nights they are active doing sports and there's teams and there's the whole thing so we said okay we know those things are true right so if we know those things are true how can we engage this audience then effectively and that really meant okay let's sponsor sports teams on universities so we had like for example manchester netball team we had a a, a women's rugby team and we also focused on female sports as well as like a a kind of underinvested area and these teams were really really delighted you know to have us on board sometimes we give them cash and some drinks like a supply of drinks sometimes it might even just be a supply of drinks and they would be like yeah this is great just because nobody has given us any sponsorship so we're more than happy to, to get involved so for us it was looking at what are those different occasions where people would like to drink the product where we think the product could help just going for it it was just like engaging people around those occasions. So we would do like pop-ups in universities, outside libraries and say, give, do some giveaways or do some sampling. We'd have the little sample cups and people yeah. would kind of taste, give us the feedback. We say, okay, you know what? Now you can buy this. It's in your local shop here, blah, blah, blah. So it was kind of just doing things that made sense. And in doing that, like, I think you, you can't really go too far wrong. So even with the learning we've got now, like that approach, is basically still the approach. There's no difference. Only right now is obviously the world has changed, COVID-19 and there's the university opportunity, the, the corporate office opportunity is not what it was before. Doesn't mean it may not come back in the same way. It may come back or it may be different going forward in the future, we don't know. But I guess the key thing for us is at all times, just using that kind of common sense lens as to, well, what do we know? And if we know this, then how can we use what we know to inform how we engage and what we do to kind of market and promote the product? And, and, and there's something also about that with like, when you talk about Insta, social media, like that was another thing that we all always kind of went with. It's like, okay, what are people doing right now on Insta and social? And we found a lot of people were doing these home workouts, doing the like fitness pages. Like there's so many people who have like their normal page 
and then they create like a fitness page to follow their fitness journey. And that was something we just found organically. People are resonating with our product as like a pre-workout or something they have before or after the gym or before doing the workout at home. And so we've kind of leaned into that and we've been supporting a lot of people in this community, giving people products, doing some really small sponsorships. Like we, we mm. don't do big paid influencer campaigns, but just like where we can trying to give something back. If people create content that we use, we like to try and give something back. So it's all that kind of journey. And yeah, just being sensible. I think I know the answer. I think I know what you'll say, but when you try these lots of different things, it's no one thing is going to be the silver bullet, but uh, from your experience, you know, what has been effective for you? What worked like a year or two years ago that won't work again for just anyone who's trying to kind of launch their own thing? And how do you decide, okay, this may have been fun for the team to do, but it didn't actually result in something. Could you tell us a bit more about how you made those decisions and came up with those strategies and not strategies, campaigns, for example? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's a good one in terms of what worked and what was positive. For me, this thing about engaging consumers, I feel like that is is really important and we've been on a journey which is like meant we've had three different versions of our product so we launched a plastic bottle early 2018 that was our first product 2019 we relaunched in a tetra pack which was you know we felt it was more sustainable we had the option to go straight to the aluminium cans but we also felt like we wanted to keep a point of difference but one challenge is keeping with a point of difference is you have to be careful not to over differentiate. So it, when we were in a Tetra pack, the kind of cartons that you have the coconut water type of drinks in. So we were in those and we had really the colorful packaging and whatever, three different flavors. But people didn't know what the product was. Some of the people saw it as, oh, this is a juice drink. It's like a smoothie drink or whatever. People didn't see it as like a functional energy product so we, we then went the full circle and we went to this particular design food vitamin energy but i guess the point is is that we may not have ended up with this particular proposition without going through those different iterations and those iterations for me is kind of where we got learning at every stage you know every stage but i have like listening like one thing i can't credit this to elon musk but you know you have two ears you know and one mouth you've got to listen more than you <laughs> more than you talk because every founder believes in their product. Every founder's like, yeah, this is my product. It's great, blah, 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 blah. I'm more the kind of person as, here's my product. What do you think? What do you think? I want to know what people think. I want to know what their feedback is. Because when you build up that kind of bank of like feedback, of like comments, of like reviews, of just understanding what people think of your brand, then you can actually start improving but you can start the journey to improving and for me a brand is always living and that's why coca-cola every five years will refresh its packaging because they know they're always living they have to if you look at how coke looks today and how it looked 20 years ago even it's quite different i mean it's still the same obviously the same kind of intrinsic brand iconography is largely there but they will refresh and they will constantly change and for us i think as startups often i think that's the thing where some of us get like quite tunnel vision on, I've got this product, I think it's great, it's amazing, we go with this. And mm -hmm. actually being willing to change, iterate, evolve. And sometimes it might take you back to square one. And it took us back to square one. We had a product that was listed in Sainsbury's, listed in Ocado, and we said, no, you know what, this product is not the right product, we need to pull it. And we pulled wow. the product and we then went on to launch the new cans. And we thought, yeah, we're gonna get that distribution back straight away. And if we didn't, we didn't get the distribution back. It was a global pandemic. And only now are we starting to have some of those conversations almost a year after producing this new cans. So for us, when you talk about, okay, what learning, what's worked, I think that thing of like being willing to iterate, being willing to take feedback, know that your first product is literally your first product. It's, it shouldn't, unless you launch it and it's just flying and it's going, sales are going amazingly well, you know it's resonating straight away. Then you've hit the, that sweet spot or you've got an audience, run with it, of course. But when things are not fully working and things are not flying and things are not going the way you think, sometimes you need to be ready and open-minded enough to say, okay, let me go back to drawing board. Let me review. Let me listen to consumers. Let me change something. And because some people will tell you, oh, you just need to focus on sales and just push it, mm. push it but for me i don't i think the product should sell itself 
No. Because I'm looking forward to when we get to do more trade shows and more public facing things because people will then be able to taste the product. And I don't need to talk. I don't need to tell you. Do you know what I mean? It just, you'll see the brand, you'll taste the product, you'll understand the proposition. You might say, look, I love this. This is great. Let's, it's easier to sell, you know, once you've done that work. I think. You know, sometimes instant success is actually a curse because you'll never, you know, like, let's say the example of a sticker thing that happens, you're like, you got it right. Perfect. But that mistake will happen at some point and you need to know to fully vet everything before you sent it out to the printers and like people who you know you hear about athletes and lottery winners they get broke after all the money runs out because they just don't know how to manage that kind of money so yeah. quickly i was reading a book by daniel Priestley, key person's influence and he says if you set things up properly you have to be ready to climb everest from day one and what he meant by was you need to train you need to make lots and lots of kind of mistakes and know things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to pick up in a book or an instruction manual to say here are all the things you need to do so things that you learn will have to come from mistakes and just going through that journey that like someone may quit or someone in your team maybe gets pregnant or someone not saying pregnancy is a bad thing before the someone cancels me on this what i'm saying is like unexpected things that you would never would have encountered and that goes to the next question i want to ask you phil is like food used to be called something else before you had like a you had to change your name it was uh, something which involved a very very big drinks manufacturer and i did ask if it's okay for me to ask Please do. how did that happen and like could you tell us from your side because what yeah. i saw from following you on linkedin and instagram was like hey we've had to change our name yeah. and i think you did mention the reasons for it but could you tell us what happened from inside yeah. of the brain food towers absolutely so in terms of the name change so we were called brain food up until this new version of the product in the cans so we had a previous version, which I mentioned in, in the Tetra Pak. And as we were kind of designing the, the kind of the product and looking at the marketing strategy, you know, we we're really thinking, well, what's a catchy tagline? What is like, what's a, a key message that people would really enjoy? And there was something about this whole no bull thing. And, and it's been done before, like a lot of brands have no bull, as in kind of no BS, or some people say no BS and no bull. But we decided, okay, let's flip it and really focus in on the energy drinks category and say no monsters no bull so we had that on the front of our packaging so we had it brain food no monsters no bull and whenever people said heard that no monsters no bull line they would actually giggle it was, it was something that was a bit of fun right so we thought okay this is fun it's borderline cute kind of thing no monsters no bull in the fonts that we put it right on front of pack and then at some point maybe 2019 at some point we got a letter early 2019 we got a letter from from red bull like literally got a letter from the legal team at red bull saying look we've noticed that you're using the the phrase no bull and we were like well why not yeah of course no bull and then they said well we trademarked no bull in the soft drinks category and so you are not allowed to use no bull within soft drinks and i was like what so i literally went on but you can check trademarks if you go to .uk, you go on the ipo intellectual property office you can check trademarks i checked they have literally trademarked no bull you know at that time we were like damn should we fight this should we get legal advice and so on and we took some legal advice and people said to us that look you can fight this because Red Bull are not actively using the trademark, you know, mm. so we've trademarked now food, vitamin, energy, food is our trademark. If we, for any reason, stop using it and we haven't used it for some years, then it becomes fair game to other people. Mm. Too, right. And so that basically was the kind of discussion we were having is should we fight this? That might be a nice story. Smaller brand fights bigger, big multinational overuse of no ball, blah, blah, blah. But we thought to ourselves, actually, this will take a lot of energy. <laughs> it will take a lot of cash to actually fight this successfully. And we felt like, you know what, maybe our money and our time is better spent engaging with our community and building community and just focus on how we can keep on scaling our brand organically. Mm. I think there's maybe something to revisit later down the line. We might decide mm. actually, hey, we, we like no monsters, no ball. It may <laughs> It makes sense. We want to continue using it. But at that time, we decided that look, we are going to change and we're going to take down. Uh, we took it off our website. We took it off mm. packaging. We, took, we basically took it off everything. And basically, that was another one of the key catalysts in terms of us changing our packaging. And so that kind of 
also helped inform that we needed to make this change to a new format as soon as possible. So that was like another push because they gave us basically a period of time and said, within this time, it's okay for you to use the, the, the phrase on the packaging, but we had to take it off everywhere else, digitally, website, Insta, blah, blah, blah. We took it all off from everywhere. So yeah, I mean, that, that was an interesting experience and showed that we're relevant, we're on their radar. It showed that actually they're looking at us or that they're seeing us from their ivory tower somewhere in Austria. I've received letters like this where, you know, we accidentally may have used someone else's copyrighted image on our website. Like, this is really early on. I don't know how, you know, they managed to find my address and they they wrote me a really scary letter saying, hey, this image is copyrighted. And I was I, I, I just like, I just thought, fuck, this is, this is serious. So I just took it down straight away. But I didn't even know how to create a website or anything. But what was the actual letter like? Was it like a scarily worded letter? proper letterhead but it had the real legal and i remember in fact this guy was actually somehow based in spain mm. and like i remember his like his email his not his email friends, but his kind of letter signature with like his credentials and blah 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 and it was like these guys he sounds like a serious man and I, I never looked him up on, on linkedin i probably maybe i will look him up later uh, i'm still with the letter but you know it, it was serious like it was very serious and i think there could have been some fun to be had like you know when we think about looking back on it could we have pushed them a little bit and tried to make a little bit more of it in the media and so on? I mean, it did get some media coverage if you Google brain food and Red Bull or whatever, the, the story comes up. But in general, we decided to play it safe and say, you know what, let's not fight the big boys now. Yeah, when you're up against someone who has almost like unlimited, very deep pockets, especially probably a room full of lawyers, then it's best to just like try and kind of work with them rather than against. I was talking to one of the founders in a couple of episodes and he was like, the most expensive mistake he made was getting divorced. And he paid, yeah, he didn't say how much, but you know, you could tell like he paid a fair whack to the lawyer. It made a lawyer very rich. Maybe he got a second house out of it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's part of the journey, I guess. What I want to know, Phil, is from the sounds of it, from every kind of uh, drawback that you or hurdle that you've encountered, you've learned something new and actually made it better. And kind of like the mis the thing with the printing it was a tiny thing, but and then the packaging you kind of reiterated slightly better. So you seem to be on this kind of journey of trying to improve one percent every day or that kind of thing. How do you kind of you know in, in your personal life does that kind of cuts through to what you do in your normal life? Absolutely. I'm always looking for how to try and improve. And particularly this whole lockdown time has been like really challenging because you're not going to an office, your structure is gone. But, and, and also just in terms of like the things we had, like we had numerous accounts all closed. We had some distributors who were ordering like hundreds of cases every month of drinks, just go back to zero, literally go down to zero. So for me, it was like, okay, how do I still keep that motivation of myself and the team and how do we keep on improving and pushing? And it was, it's been tough, you know, it's been really, really tough. And, and for me on a personal basis, trying to say, okay, let me wake up early and like start at like 5 a.m. And from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m., get like some real deep work done. That's another good book, Deep Work. It's just like, it's been tough, <laughs> you know, that's tough. It, it's been difficult for me to try and maintain that type of discipline. I, I can do it one or two days a week but i struggle to do it the whole week because what it means is that you have to actually go to bed much earlier to then get up much earlier so for me those are the kind of things that i've been struggling with is trying to find that peaceful times of the day where you can really do deep work when everyone's home do you know what i mean i mean there's only three of us but you know when we're all in for like extended periods of time you know it is tough yeah. when you're not with your team how do you keep them motivated how do you engage meaningfully with them make sure that they're okay as well that they're functioning you know that their mental health and you know well-being is, is kind of is in, is, is is kind of as, as optimal as it can be that's the challenges really just before we came on we started recording i was talking to another founder of a, in, in the series and he was saying more or less the same thing they had actually literally invested in a brand new facility new warehouse they were ready to go and lockdown happened just one day before they're actually due to move in and they had the same issues they're a small team but they had the same issue of okay how we're we going to cope from working from home they had the warehouse are we actually allowed to go in you know they had jumped through all sorts of hoops to actually sort of function and this business had been going for 20 years they'd seen it and done it all and they've had to kind of readapt very very quickly and it was probably a lot harder for them than for companies like ours where we're used to working in tech and having these kind of conversations before the pandemic. But yeah, like it's it, from my side, it's been 
I think the hardest thing is because I'm a people person and I love being out and talking to people and like being out and about. That's the biggest thing for me to get over. But, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel and we will come out stronger than how we entered it, I guess, I hope. I want to ask you in terms of what's the future for Brain Food? I know you mentioned that you have the new packaging and also new flavors. What's next for you guys and what should we look out for from food? Sure. So we've really been growing direct to consumer. So during the whole lockdown period, we've been pushing our sales on our website. We, we have like an e-commerce Shopify site and we've been really pushing. We've been running Facebook ads, Instagram ads. We've been doing influencer marketing and just growing that kind of channel, that distribution channel. So in 2020, that ended up being about 90% of our sales was like direct to consumer. Whereas 2019, it was about 20% of our sales. Bearing in mind, we had Ocado, which is a major online retailer. But what we've done really is lean into Amazon. And so we've launched via Amazon in Germany. We're due to launch in France. Well, we're about to launch in the US. We're set up for the US. We're about to get our drinks over over the water to, to get them into the US distribution system via Amazon. So just using things like that to try and like, I guess, give us more traction. And because one of the things is like we're kind of in a, in a retail business where to some extent the numbers are really based on how many places can you get your product listed? How many shop fronts, how many shelves can you put your product on? Um, and to some extent in this new world and new way of working, it's all about how can we get directly in front of consumers? You know, we still wanna be in every single retailer and that is, the kind of long-term future. But we know now our job really is to keep on building direct-to-consumer, keep on building our engagement with our community, keep on kind of just building the, the brand presence and the traction. And, and it's really nice sometimes where people have heard of you. Family, you randomly come across people, like, oh yeah, I've heard this brand. Oh yeah, I've seen you guys on this, I've seen it. And it's a good feeling because it's like, wow, okay, we have something that's that's living and breathing and that it's, it's out there now. It has its own life, do you know what I mean? It's reaching people. And that's a satisfying thing, but but we're just at the very beginning and we need to to kind of learn more. Like initially, Instagram was the place where we kind of grew our following even before we launched our product up to about 7,000 followers. Much harder. That second 7,000 is a lot harder to get. We're just getting to 14,000 and we've had product in the market and it's the algorithms change and things move on. Yesterday, I was having some conversations about Clubhouse. How can we get onto Clubhouse? And have conversations like this and like engage a different audience in that domain. How can we use TikTok? And now we've launched a TikTok channel that we're, we're posting on, on TikTok. So it's like in everything, you're always evolving and, and, and moving. And so, yeah, just like expect to see us popping up on your feed across LinkedIn, TikTok, <laughs> Insta, Facebook, whatever, Clubhouse. That's it. I mean, I'm a fan, so I follow you on, on all these channels already, but I'm going to find you on Clubhouse and add, uh, or, or follow. You know, what are you personally excited about? What is your thing at the moment that's like, yeah, this is next thing? I mean, interestingly, for me, it's also like, how do we build the story globally? And I feel like the UK still has, it's, it's still the right thing to do for us to build our brand here. For us to get retail distribution, I think that's still right. However, at the same time, alongside doing that, there's no reason we can't have a global outlet. We're already doing the Zoom calls, we're already doing the whatever, Microsoft Teams or whatever it is. That means we can have conversations with different buyers, with different distributors and so on globally. I've had conversations recently with guys in the US, in Canada, Kuwait. We've got a distributor in Kuwait that we're onboarding right now. So for us, it's like, how can we start to actually have a global footprint? And we get like, most weeks we get people writing to us from different mm. places and just saying, hey, how can I buy this product? Or some people saying, hey, I just saw you in Dragon's Den. And these people are in Australia or they're in Ireland or they're like, <laughs> I think there was a, a week where South Africa must have shown the Dragon's Den. And, and like, if you go to your, your website on the Shopify backend, you can see what countries people have come from. Mm. And we say, why in South Africa have we had like <laughs> thousands of people visit our website? What's the basis? Why in Ireland? And it's just, random different days people just see you or we have a magazine article and that somehow makes it to like new zealand and then somebody writes in and says hey are you available in, in new zealand and we're like no not yet coming soon 100 curious time i think from my side I'm, I'm really really genuinely excited to see where you will go and i love the fact that you're kind of which each kind of learnings you kind of improve almost you know like kind of slingshots you to the next 
kind of phase and i'm actually super curious to see where i keep saying brent food will actually go in terms of final advice what advice would you give to someone who's starting off or is thinking about doing something uh similar or getting into uh, the industry best advice is just become an expert in your category so whatever say i became an expert but i became fanatical at a certain point about soft drinks and i would be in different places different cities i would take pictures of every chiller every soft drinks fridge in every shop that i would go into i'd be in berlin and i would just take pictures of the chillers i would go to like whole foods equivalent in berlin and go to like different places and everywhere i went i wanted to understand what was the what drinks were in the fridge what was the pricing points what kind of packaging and what was the messaging and i just wanted to like really understand the category once you really understand your category then you've got a much better opportunity to understand where you can add value to it because if you can't add value to your category then in reality you're always going to be like a product that is surplus to some extent to you've got to be able to prove that hey we're significantly different to what you already have mm. we can talk about elon musk's and books that you recommend all day long and i think that should definitely be a thing for part two in terms of how can people get in touch with you and also how can people find out more just could you just tell us your contact details not your email addresses and that kind of thing but you know just basically how can people get in touch with you sure i mean for me always you can inbox us on linkedin you can look me up philip uday on linkedin and look up brain food we were still called brain food limited that's our company or food vitamin energy you can find us on linkedin facebook insta on insta we're at drink food is our tag but if you type in food vitamin energy you'll get us please feel free to get in touch if anyone wants to collaborate hear more about the story invest i know your your networks and good investors who are watching this right now who'd be interested so we are always open for conversations you know and conversations sometimes they're just great just in themselves but sometimes they can end up in really exciting things happening so for me i'm always open to conversations for sure thank you well phil i personally will be getting in touch with you to ask for more fashion advice i think <laughs> that's a... <laughs> i don't um... really right now look I see your swagger is already on 100 I'm just a working man I'm just wearing my <laughs> uniform I've just got my uniform on right now Actually how can people get hold of that gilet I think that's something I would like to have <laughs> Okay the gilet look again inbox us it's something we we're, we're thinking about putting on the website actually it's like but the funny thing is there was like we produced some merch for a photo shoot that we did with like some of the team members of the Manchester netball squad so we just made five of these like bespoke like workout like long sleeve tops and leggings and you know what pretty much the whole netball squad there was about 100 of them in the whole squad across like different teams and they all said we love this we want to buy it how can we buy this and they literally bought like about i think about 60 of them placed their orders and they paid nice. we just said look cost price like whatever we get it for we'll give it to you and this cost price they all paid for it and like to this day some of these people are wearing these these outfits in the gyms and places around the country so yeah we we probably should get the merch up and and running on the website so that that's a good way for me for this conversation phil i will be customer number 1 once you get this up honestly i love the brand i love following your story on instagram and i'm really curious to see where you're going to go but thank you again for your time phil i hope we will stay in touch and we'll follow up on this conversation Absolutely and thank you for inviting me to the platform and I'm looking forward to seeing this platform grow as well because you've been doing great content work for other people for other clients so it's fantastic to see you creating your own stuff